Learn how Alina Health is committed to providing you support on your path to better health in this edition of The Wellcast. Now here's your host, Melanie Cole. Joining me today is Dr. Jesse Corey. He's a neurologist with Alina Health's United Hospital in St. Paul. In part one of The Chemistry of Love, we explained what happens in our brain when we fall in love. Today, we're going to explore falling out of love, how to stay in love, and how to look at love as possibly an addiction. Welcome to the show, Dr. Corey. So does the brain change when we fall out of love? You know, in a word, yes. Uh, just kind of quickly to review, you know, when our brain falls into love, there's this kind of, this first of all, a stress of, you know, humans, we want to be social beings. And so you have this stress, you have this anxiety, and when you fall in love, the brain starts really kind of, the, those functional pathways that reward good experience, those get built up. And that anxiety, that nervousness, those get tampered down. And we actually see on MRI studies, both these functional pathways, kind of the electrical impulses getting, you know, rewarded for good pro-social behavior and being social beings and that anxiety pathway kind of being suppressed. But we also see structural changes in the brain where parts of the brain called the striatum, which is part of the reward center, actually get, they have physical changes. So when we fall out of love then, this all, you know, reverts back to what it was before we fell in love. So you have the sudden withdrawal of those, you know, those good hormones, that dopamine, that oxytocin that we were, you know, having before. And you start to see actual physical brain changes where the reward structures of the brain actually start reverting back to that state before we were in love. This is such an absolutely fascinating topic. Does science have any advice on how couples can return to that more blissful state of love? Or do you think, Dr. Corey, that it's a deeper thing than just how your brain is reacting and sometimes this is what couples have to work on in therapy or Mm -hmm. that there are other reasons, libido or just attractiveness of the other partner. What do you say about that? You know, this is is a fascinating topic. And when when we look at, you know, the, the structures of the brain, we see that the biology early on rewards newness and that newness kind of pushes that dopamine that then feeds forward in the system. But that don't mean it's important for the development of attachment later on. But attachment then gets, you know, again, it, it gets reinforced by newness. And so when we look now at, that's the biology, we look now at the psychology and why do seasoned marriages fall apart. There's one really common theme. There's, there's not sharing anymore. So this, this new pair bond, this attached group, they don't share new experiences. And so they're not, you know, really, they're not, having those rewarding events right now, they're not reinforcing that part of the brain that's been changed now that now they're attached. And so what the, the one secret to rekindling that, that, that flame, the keeping you know, uh, an old love new again, is newness, is to share experiences. So things like, you know, take the mundane and make it great. When you have dinner, okay, you're ordering pizza, put some candles on there, um, have a nice wine with it, or have a code word that, you know, when you and your loved one uh, hear this common word, you know, you know, bread, you know, coffee. You make sure that you go ahead and you give a kiss or a hug or a gentle pat to your to your your lover. Um, and and these are the things that you know are important for day to day life. But it's also important to make sure that you're sharing your thoughts, your concerns. And as we all get older, we're all going to have new interests and uh, new hobbies. Share those new interests and hobbies with your loved one. So sometimes relationships don't always work out, and we've heard that expression that love hurts. Is that just an expression, or does it really hurt? Oh, no. It, it, it's actually, this is fascinating. This is where we start looking more at the similarities between the early stages of love and addiction. When a person kind of, you know, is that, you know, that kind of puppy love, or they're heart sick, or they've, 
been rejected. There's a part of the brain called the uh, dorsal anterior cingulate gyrus, and this kind of helps with uh, conflict monitoring on, and kind of you know balancing things, you know risk benefit ratios, those sort of things. But it's also connected to a part of the brain called the insular cortex, and so this part of the brain helps us with pain and distress. So now what you have is the brain that's really activated in parts of the brain that are for risk benefit as well as for physical pain. So when we've fallen out of love or we've been rejected, oftentimes, you know, we, we're more attuned to physical uncomfort, physical uh, distress, and therefore, you know, love does hurt. Wow. So it really, truly does. And many of these experiences, that roller coaster of emotions, physical pain, they sound like substance withdrawals, and you mentioned the word addiction. Mm-hmm. So can love be an addiction? And I know in some addiction centers, when they're going through treatment, they say, don't pick a partner right now. Yeah. Is yeah. that related? And that's very much so. The, you know, the, the pathways we have for social cognition, for reward, they're redundant. So they, you know, different things will use these same pathways. And so when we look at, well, how humans evolve, there are things we need to do. We need to eat. We need to drink. We need to procreate. And then we have systems that evolved secondarily to increase the likelihood of success for those actions. So in the case of procreation, we have romantic love to make sure our offspring you know, have the best chance for success. Now, drug addiction piggybacks a lot on that first pathway, that, you know, that, that desire for procreation, desire for lust. And when we look now at what a normal type of reward system is that we evolved with for food or water, what have you, you know, there's that stage where you start to you know, develop an appetite or whatever you're, you're trying to be rewarded for. And then you have the actual, um, you attain, you know, your, your the food, your drink, your mate. And then afterwards, there's a period of pleasant satiation where you're basically, you're contented, you're full. In the case of addiction, though, you have oftentimes, um, what we were talking about before with that uh, dorsal anterior cingulate gyrus and the insular cortex, the parts that help with, you know, kind of risk reward and pain, those are a little more amplified and active in folks who are, on substances of abuse like cocaine, heroin. And when they obtain that cocaine or heroin, the normal flood of transmitters that would be, you know, that you or I would have after, you know, making love to our loved one or, or having a great meal, the transmitters released during, uh, during drug use with cocaine, heroin, et cetera, are many, many fold greater than what's normally experienced. And that period of being content, that, that, uh, that satiation afterwards, it's much, much shorter. So there's a thought going on that if we can better understand normal reward through, you know, love and food and whatnot, we can then understand when that, that goes awry in addiction. And since things like normal love will transition into that more romantic attachment, are there ways we can, you know, learn how to transition addiction to something different that makes it much easier uh, to deal with and much less painful for the uh, individual affected by addiction. Dr. Corey, do you see a difference in the brain of somebody who is in love versus someone who loves? If you love your child, if you love your parents, if you love mm-hmm. your best friend versus that feeling of being in love or lust, is there a difference there? Yeah, the, the feelings we see with um, like maternal love, right? Many of the same pathways are used, but we're, the parts of the brain that are activated is maybe the same structure, but slightly different parts of the structure. Um, we also see that, you know, things like um, romantic love are more similar to things like the love of a mother for a child, the platonic love between two friends, in that the parts of the brain that are activated, typically the ventral palladium and whatnot, are more active than the parts that of the brain we see light up during early love, that, that lust stage. 
Wow. And what about when you are rejected? By any situation, rejection can happen in any kind of love relationship. So what do people do to recover and what is happening when they feel that sense of rejection? Okay. So what's happening when we have that unrecorded love? Again, um, the thing to kind of get back on the horse is that newness, newness, newness. Um, so oftentimes we, you know, look first at the rejection, you know, the, the person, you know, definitely they, they feel bad. They're still stressed out. They still have low levels of serotonin, which are very common in the early stages of uh, love. So they need to find a way to amp up the dopamine again, to have a pleasurable experience once again, and to basically to, you know, treat that impulse to become a more social being. So, you know, one of the things that are always recommended if you've been rejected, healthy behaviors would be, you know, go try something new, go on a trip, uh, you know, try, pick up a new hobby, do something new that's going to stimulate that dopamine system to really, you know, flood our transmitters, that, that dopamine, that good hormone that makes us feel good about ourselves. And, you know, the hope is then that that will then help, you know, quiet that, that discomfort, that anxiety we have that kind of triggers the whole social uh, process to begin with. So wrap it up for us with our brain chemistry when we're in love and when we love. What you want people to know about why this science matters to them, what you want them to take from this segment and use in their daily life. Great, great, great point, great question. I think that the thing to, to first of all keep in mind is it's normal to be feel uh, what you call Twitter pated from uh, from Bambi. You know, you feel nervous. That that's normal when you that first part where you're trying to you know, find somebody special. That's normal. That's part of biology. And when, you know, you've been rejected, that's okay. It's going to happen. Keep trying something new. Newness is going to be the key. It's going to be your friend to make, you know, that anxiety you feel, you know, be something that's, that's palpable. When you find somebody who you, you love, you know, and you develop that pair relationship, then make sure you really do things to reinforce that relationship. You know, try something new. You know, talk with your, you know, loved one. Communicate. These are the important things. When you start noticing that, you know, that spark to kind of, you know, to dwindle, make sure you, you talk about that with your loved one. Make sure you're able to, you know, to share and to do new things because newness is going to help you find that person. This is going to help you maintain that, that loving care bond. And if you do have somebody who you, you know, you know and you care for who unfortunately may be in the throes of addiction, understand that this is largely the biology of it is largely what's neurobiology just gone awry. And so that some of the things that, you know, hopefully that as scientists learn more about the love process, they can then take these this data and find treatments to better treat, you know, our loved ones who unfortunately have problems with addiction. Thank you so much for being with us. It is really such an interesting topic, Dr. Oh, Corey. Thanks again. It really is. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Wellcast with Alina Health. And for more information, you can go to alinahealth.org. That's alinahealth.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.